forgot to give it to Brad in the show. I actually met them in a hotel lobby. They were, we were at a conference that they were actually at doing the skit, um, and they did several while we were there. We had a D6 conference, but I actually got to talk to them, and they're, as, they're nicer offstage than what you think they are on stage. They live, they live the part, so we're so thankful and, um, for, what, for their ministry and what they're doing, and thankful to support them, uh, to be able to support them by purchasing their videos and stuff. So uh, just thankful for folks who will step out. <laughs> I know people, baby, you know what I'm saying? Our pastor knows people on TV, right? Yeah. I, uh, I look a little younger there, a little lighter. I still have that shirt. What was that? Yeah, well, I, it's overrated, man. Hair's overrated. Cool, see? Let's turn in your Bibles this morning to Proverbs 22, verse 6, a very familiar passage. We're going to be going through a lot of passages, so if you have the Bible app, I will tell you that I'm going to give you seven traits of a godly dad that do not include love because love is a given. If I got to say a godly dad loves his kids, I mean, that's just like, you know, we know that. Seven traits other than love, right? But they're all bound in love. And so I will tell you on the app, all it says, one through seven, it says godly dads and then a big blank. You're going to have to fill in the blanks if you have the app. But all the scriptures that references we're going to use this morning are in the app. Um, if you want to follow along, I will certainly be telling you where we're at. And plus, they will also have it on the screen as well. All right. Proverbs 22, 6. When you have your place, please stand to your feet. If you're at home viewing, please stand to your feet. You've got to wait 30 seconds for them to do it, though, because there's a delay. We'll wait. We'll wait. All right. Proverbs 22, 6. Very familiar passage of Scripture. And it says this, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful day. Lord, we thank you for dads. And Father, we thank you most, Lord, for being our Heavenly Father and modeling before us uh, the right way to live, the right way to love, uh, and all that that includes. And Father, we thank you, Lord, for loving us, loving us so much you sent your son to die for. Father, we pray today, Lord, that our, the words spoken will, Lord, bring honor to you. And Lord, that will also, uh, Lord, just bring your teaching to our hearts. And Father, we pray that all hearts will be open. And Lord, we just pray, Lord, uh, uh, Lord, we just pray a prayer of trust. Lord, I trust you today. I trust, Lord, that the Holy Spirit, that, Lord, that will be upon hearts and that you will draw, uh, Lord, those who need the message, Lord, to you and to the words, and Lord, you will impress it upon them. And so, Father, we just know that your word will not return void, and we trust that, and we stand upon that today. Lord, because we know it's not about us as speakers, it's not about the things that we say, but it's about your words, Lord, and your spirit doing its job, and we trust him too. Lord, we love you, and pray this today in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Y'all can be seated. So we want to give you seven traits this morning. I know what you're thinking, seven will not get out of here till probably seven. Uh, I promise to run through these um, as quickly as the Spirit allows. I won't dilly-dally, uh, but uh, we'll, let the, we'll let the Spirit dictate what happens here today, amen? We'll just trust Him and know that when He says we're done, we're done. 
I want to tell you, though, as we look at the traits, the first trait is this, right? The first trait is this. Godly dads train their children. Godly dads train their children in the ways of God. And I didn't put that on the line, but go ahead and add that. I thought of it later. I'm like, I need to put in God there because we all train our kids to do something. Amen? Do you think it's odd that, that kids that come from divorced homes end up also the divorce rate among those who come out of divorced homes is a lot higher than those who don't? It's not by accident, right? It's not by accident. We're teaching our children. By the way, a lot of this applies to moms too. Dads and moms, we have specific roles. I believe that the Bible lays out. We have characteristics that are different from each other. That's why it takes a mom and a dad together. Um, I've, over the years of preaching on Father's Day, I've given fatherless home statistics until you're probably blue in the face. Um, and those statistics are still ringing true. The, the, the trend hasn't changed. Kids that come from fatherless homes, right, uh, they, they struggle. Now listen, there's all, I, I'm also thankful for the men that step up and love children that maybe they, were, they married into the family. Uh, I'm a stepdad. I have a special place in my heart for stepdads and stepmoms. It can be difficult, but listen, still, right? Still dads, even as a stepdad, we can impress upon our children, right? And help them. And it's, you know, it, we can still have that effect, even uh, as stepparents, right? And so uh, I say this is, is true regardless of whether they're your children or somebody else. It doesn't matter. Even if you have uh, foster children, whatever the case may be, the time that you have with them, they are going to watch you. But seeing that husband and wife together is so important, right? Because it completes that picture of the church and the relationship with Christ. But as we train, we train our children to do something. It's a matter of, are we going to live intentional to train them in the ways of God? It's not going to happen by accident. Our children aren't going to accidentally learn about God. It's because we're intentional about it. And I will tell you, if there's ever a job that I've ever had, that I feel like that I failed the most in, I will tell you right now, it's being a dad. I, I feel like if the, the thing that I have, and that's, I don't feel very successful as a pastor either most of the time, but honestly, the role as a dad, because I, I now know how weighty that role is, and I also know that I lived much of my life as a dad to the boys when they were younger as an authoritarian. An authoritarian is one who gives them rules, and if you break the rule... You know, there's going to be consequences. Now, I'm not saying that's wrong, but that's just the way I lived. I mean, it was, it was rules. You do good by the rule, good, because you're supposed to, right? There was no extra attaboy for doing the right thing. It was only something bad if you did the wrong thing. And so in the role of dad, I feel like it's probably one of my biggest failures. Now, uh, you know, our boys are, 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 are they're adults now. They're men, and they're good men. Um, and I believe they'll do anything for you, and God has blessed them in spite of who their dad is. But I feel that when I go through these godly traits, it was just hard for me. And I can't tell you the times I sat there and just looked at you know, my notes and just kind of started to, to almost weep just because I was like, man. And to be honest with you, I wish somebody would have preached this when I, was, when I was growing up in church. I'll be honest with you. I remember Father's Day many times in church, and, and I, you know, I have no ill will toward anybody, but I just I don't remember talking about parental training and marriage and those things. We just didn't. 
And I think a lot of churches didn't, and that's why things are the way they are now. It's like we almost like you think it happens by osmosis. As long as we keep our kids out of jail or whatever, you know, we think that we're doing okay. When the fact is, is that that has nothing to do with it. Not to mention, I know some people that love the Lord a lot and have went through a lot of difficulty with the children because every child goes through that time, that moment. They go through difficulties. It's just the way it is. And so I was measuring, I was measuring my status as a dad by all the wrong things. All the wrong things. Instead of measuring up to the Word of God. And so I have to tell you, delivering messages on Father's Day is probably one of my most dreaded things. And I almost put it off on Kevin this year. I'm like, well, you know, Sister Pastor, i got to break him in somehow. Right? Because it's all the holiday messages that you struggle with. I'm going to be quite honest with you. Those are the ones I struggle with, trying to be relevant to the holiday or whatever. Trying to, you know, and sometimes the Lord just doesn't let you do it. He's like, you know, it may be Memorial Day, but we're not talking about that. This is what I want you to deliver. And you just got to listen to them and it'll be okay. But it, it plays on your mind. And so this year, I almost just kicked this one over here. Kevin, get that. But God, in his ways, said, uh, uh-uh. no way, our big boy. You have to do this. And so even when I just look at godly trait number one, again, love is a given. Godly dads train their children in the ways of God. Deuteronomy chapter 6, right? You guys have heard the D6 scripture so long. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk with them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. This shows a parent, amen, both dad and mom, diligently teaching their children by living intentionally. It's not going to happen. Talk about when they get up in the morning, when they walk along the way, when they go to bed at night. All these things, which we got to take every moment we can to make a God moment. It doesn't mean you got to sit down and have a three-hour Bible study in your home, but it's about taking those key moments. Taking those moments when you're stressed or taking a moment when the kid knows there's something wrong. If you don't think your kids don't know that there's something wrong when there's something wrong in your house, when there's a, whether it's a financial difficulty or relational difficulty or anything else, if you think your kids are blind that something's going on, listen, you're, you're kidding yourself. So what do we teach our children when things get tough? Where do we teach them to go? Right? You know how we teach them? By going there and letting them see that we are. Going to prayer and letting your child see that. I think about how many times I studied and my kids had no idea what I was doing. They thought I was locked in my office. They didn't know whether I was up there editing video for work or doing other. They had no idea what I was doing. And, and that's to my shame. Because I think I'd have been much better off to open the Bible sitting on the, on the couch or sitting somewhere and them ask, right? Because when they see you doing something, a lot of times they'll ask. And I would remove myself from everyone and lock myself away. And I regret those days. It's about training your child. It's about showing them. Discipling is showing by usage, right? It's, so it's, it's not just telling them how to do something. It's actually showing them. That's why hands-on training is so much more uh, beneficial and is so much more productive because I can give you a PowerPoint on just about anything. I can tell you how to light a torch and, you know, we, when we connect outdoor units, you know, when we're doing AC work and we call it sweating in a unit, right? Uh, some people look at it and think that we're welding. We call it sweating, whatever you, whatever you want to call it. But we got a torch and some solder and, you know, we're making fire, we're getting stuff hot, burning ourselves occasionally, right? 
And so I can tell, I can give you a PowerPoint on what that flame looks like. I can give you a PowerPoint to show you how the solder is supposed to go around. But you know the best way to do it is first off, put it in my hand, light it, show them how to get it there, show them how to do it, and then say, okay, let's do this one, next one together. Actually showing them. Right, so training is, is not just about telling them something. That's my problem. Most of my life, I told my kids what to do. But training is about doing it with them. Also being very keenly aware that they're around. And when you have those moments in your life where there's a struggle, let them see you go to prayer. Take them with you to prayer. Those, that's one of the things that, that I regret. And I know what you're thinking, brother. This is going to be seven points of that you regret. It might be, folks. But here's the deal. A wise person will learn from somebody else's mistakes. A person that's not wise will just have to go make the same ones themselves, even though they've heard it from someone else. So if that's the way it turns out, that's the way it turns out, I'm okay with it, right? I don't really think that's going to be the issue. But to kind of make a point on this, I, I read, I was getting ready to tell uh, Kevin this morning, I was going to kind of give him a little preview of this story, but there was, um, uh, there was a Jewish family, and they moved from one village where they had a Jewish synagogue, right? And they moved, they moved to a, uh, a new village that did not have a Jewish synagogue at all. There were, no, there were no Jewish families there. But the father was a businessman, and so he moved there for economic reasons, and then when he got there and realizing that they didn't really have, you know, any Jewish synagogues or anything around, he decided the family was going to become Lutheran. I don't know if you know how big a jump that is. To go from being an Orthodox Jew to Lutheran with no steps in the middle. And he didn't know what was happening. They get up on a Sunday instead of a Saturday, which would normally be the Sabbath, and they're going to this church teaching about Jesus in which Jews, he raised an Orthodox Jew, right, didn't see Jesus the way we see him. And it actually angered him that why did you take me away from my friends that come over here and now we're just dumping our beliefs. And the reason, he's like, why did we join, why do we join this church? What's going on? And his dad says, well, that's the one church in town and that's where all the other people go and if we want our business to be successful... This is the way we do it. Now, what do you think that kid learned out of that deal? Right? He learned that money was most important. He learned that it was, everything was an economical decision. And then we look at our landscape today, and we look at some of the political things going on in a call for, you've heard of socialism, right? Anybody know who the father of socialism is? Karl Marx. Guess who that little Jewish boy was? Karl Marx. Now, if you actually go and look at what he believed and what he desired out of economics and socialism was to level the playing field, do you think that had something to do with the fact that economics took him away from a place he loved to put him in a place he didn't want to be and it was all about money? So guess what? He dreamed up now, it wasn't over just a moment, over time, but if you actually look at some of the teachings of him, and we see those in some of our political leaders today that are far left and that call for socialism, because they'll tell you that what? It takes money out of the rich man's hand, puts it in the poor man's hand, and puts it all. Because he believed that the, the owner 
of the manufacturing company or whatever it was had power over the labor. So he was encouraging the labor to take notice and hold the business owner hostage so that they could get better. So you see the, this whole, we, by the way, we know it doesn't work. It doesn't work in any other country. But I've heard of Karl Marx all my life. I've heard about his teachings and we learned a little bit about it in school. But it wasn't until I heard the story. Now I understand. Not that I think it's right, but I understand how he got from A to B. And because it's how he was trained in his home to regard nothing else but money. And when you're miserable with money, and his father was a successful businessman, when you're miserable with money, where do you go from there? I've been miserable without money, right? There's always something to look forward to. Well, we got enough to eat this week, get paid next week, we'll be all right. What happens when you got all the, what happens when you're successful in business and got the money and you still don't have satisfaction and happiness? Those are the folks that are really struggling. I know what you're thinking. I'd like to struggle like that once though, wouldn't you? Can you imagine not having to worry about what's in your account, just write a check and not worry. Anybody else check your account before you write a check? You know I'm not the only one who does that. Right? You're not the only one who does that. Be like, oh, this is gonna be a this tough month here. We got this insurance plan. How much I got in? What's cleared yet? All right, we're good. We're good. Yeah, we can go to we can go to Jules now. We got a money for ice cream. By the way, I see many of you all at Jules, by the way, I'm just saying. But if you lived in a home and you experienced what Karl Marx experienced, can you see why I understand what his views on money? Because of how it was shoved down his throat, because everything that they did in their family revolved around it. Carl was trained. He was trained up not as a Jew, not even as a Lutheran. He was trained as an economist because that's what his dad focused on. And he's still having an effect to this day. People still talk about it. Training is what you actually do in response to everything that happens in life in your home. That's what your kids are paying attention to. That's what they looked at. Number two, godly dads, now listen to this, live as an example as a letter to their children from God. Now Brian will put it up on the screen so you can see it. And godly dads, live an example as a letter to their children from God. Now where did we get this? This is a really cool passage of Scripture. And I want you to really take in what Paul is saying here. Right? And, and, and just, in the, in the, just in the words that I wrote there as the point, think about if we will have the heart of God, this mind of Christ, and live that way in all aspects of our life. When I say all aspects, that means I have to live as Christ in my relationships, not only in my family, but outside my family. I have to live as Christ in my finances, and how I spend my extracurricular time and money, all these areas live like Christ, right? Live as he teached, hold the word of God to the utmost importance and highest value in everything that we do, and it will be as you're writing a letter to your children from God on this. This is what life in me looks like. Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 2 through 3. 
It says, you yourselves are a letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. When we love like Christ, it's like we're sending a letter to the recipient of that love saying, this is what being in Christ feels like. Being loved unconditionally. Uh, I'm not talking about loving somebody that's lovable when they do something nice for you. I'm talking about loving someone in their worst moments. Loving someone in their, in their dip, most difficult moments and days. That is what we're talking about. Scripture teaches us that, that who we are and how we live is like a letter. And that's what that passage says, right? It's like a letter. It's as if God is pinning it himself on our hearts. This is me. This is the spirit of me that dwells in the person you see before you. And I'm writing a letter to you through the heart of that person who's willing to be the hands and feet of Jesus to say, I love you. I care about you. I want to do good for you and help you in any way possible. Imagine if we live like that. Right? You ever seen these movies where someone's written a letter at the end of their life and they kind of go through their life? Right? You ever seen one of those? Um, and I thought about it. If, you know, if I wrote a letter about my life to someone, you know, how much of that letter would have Christ in it? Because if I really wrote from start to finish, there was a lot of areas, there was a lot of time that I walked without God in my life. There was, there was times where I said I had God in my life, but still yet I was walking according to Huff. And so if there was any letter being written to anyone, it would be a letter from Huff. And it was not how to live in Christ. It was more of how to go after my pursuits of passion. How to pursue what I wanted to do. You know, I, I wanted to be a business owner, right? That was one of the things that I wanted to do. I, well, first off, I wanted to play bluegrass for a living. And uh, that's not very good financially, by the way. You know what the difference is between a pizza and a banjo? You can feed a family with a pizza. Now, that is funny, and not even one person cracked a smile. Seriously, people, are y'all awake? Or are you watching that thing that Randy's moving back and forth? You can feed a family with a pizza. I'm going to have Brian add a uh, laugh track in on that one on the video. Good grief. I wanted to play bluegrass for a living. Right, then I, I, uh, then I, after that, I realized bluegrass, playing bluegrass for a living probably wasn't going to happen. First off, I wasn't as good as I thought it was. Uh, once I met some really good musicians and professionals, I was like, well, I guess my pursuit of that is gone. Um, then I, you know, I got into HVAC, and that's what my dad did, and he gave me a leg up, and so it was kind of cool to be the son of Tom Hoffmaster Sr., um, because my dad was really good at what he did, and so that gave me an instant leg up because he had taught me things, and he had taught me little nuances about things that other people hadn't been taught to them, and so I was able to, at a very young age, rise up uh, in the company because of the things that my dad taught me. Not only that, my dad was there for me when I would call him and, hey, I'm in a, I'm in a jam here, I'm in a pickle, and I got this issue, what, you know, how would you do this? And, and so I was able to talk to him, and he was there, still there for me, helping me and propelling me. So then I decided, well, if I'm pretty good at HVAC, I, I, I want to I own my own business, I want to own my own company. And I worked toward that, and I found that the more money I made, the worse things got. 
right? The more money I made, the worse things got. Got rid of a small house, had to get a big house, had to do all these things. And it was just, it was like an albatross hanging around my neck. But you know what the great thing is now? Is I work, I have a really solid job, and I actually get to help business owners. So it's like God says, you know, I'm going to let you be involved in business, but my way, not your way. You want things your way, and you want your name on it. But if you're willing to work behind the scenes, if you're willing to, if you're willing to let me guide you, I'll put you in a place where you get to enjoy the things that you enjoy. But it's going to be at a different position, a different way. But still yet, you're going to be able to make an impact. And it took me a long time to figure that out. And so if I had to write a letter about my life, to give you got a whole story of my life, it would be, you know, kept doing it my way, 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 kept doing it my way. God beat me in the head again. I kept doing it my way, kept doing it my way. Finally, starting to see it God's way. But Huff still jumps in there every now and then. Just like I'm sure you do as well. Godly dads live as an example, as a letter to their children. Number three, godly dads provide for their family. And I think I messed up the English on this one because hopefully Brian fixed it. Yeah, he copied and pasted. Sorry about that. It should say godly dads provide for their family. I have no idea what happened. It's even on my notes, and I don't. I looked over them things again this morning. I was up four o'clock looking at my notes again, and I still didn't catch it, right? Uh, godly dads provide for the family. Now, listen. So, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, it says, But if anyone does not provide for their relatives, and especially for the members of his household, he is denied to faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, I think that we're talking about, first off, we're, we're talking not only financially. But we live in a difficult world. Most parents have to work. But even if you look back in the, if you look back through the scriptures and you go to Proverbs thirty-one, you will see that life was just set up a little differently. But the wives still worked as hard as the husbands did, and still were involved in business, making those kind of decisions uh, and all those kind of things. So if you read Proverbs thirty-one uh, about you know the the beauty uh, of a godly wife, you will see that you know. That, that she it says that she even she buys the field. She was industrious. She did all these things, right? So when I say this to dads, that it's you provide for your family, and you're thinking, well, my wife has to work, so am I a failure? No, absolutely not. Providing for your family is more than just financial, though. Right? Providing for your family is more than finances, right? It's more than covering rent and food. As dads, it is our responsibility to make sure our family's needs are addressed across the board. Right? Across the board. Be encouraged to look for ways to give to your family, even when, financials are, when finances are difficult. This is not just about raking in the money so, you, you know, uh, so your kids have all the things that they want, because your kids will want things they should not have. Amen? Your kids want things they shouldn't have that you shouldn't give to them. Because God doesn't give us things. Right? We can ask for things, but if it, listen, if it, if it doesn't work out according to His will... And if he thinks they're bad for us, God loves us so much that he'll say no. Right? Being a, being a good dad is not about saying yes all the time. It's about saying no. But, but think about sometimes when we look at our children and we're, we're failing to see what their needs really are. Their need is not another, you know, electrical device, electronic device or whatever. It may not be that. What they really need may, may be time with you. 
What they really need, uh, may need is, is someone to come alongside them and, and help them in a specific way. See that they're struggling uh, maybe spiritually or emotionally. and coming along. Meeting their needs is more than just providing a roof over their head and food in their bellies. But it's about providing for all of their needs. It's about not being blinded so much by, by, by things like work and, and doing that stuff. Uh, being blinded by that so much that you can't see that your child has some other need that cannot be met with dollars and cents but instead has to be met with maybe prayer, maybe counseling, maybe just spending time together, maybe going out and throwing the hood up of an old pickup truck and start turning some wrenches and get greasy. I remember Jordan when he was little come out there, I was working on a truck and, you know, Dad, can I help? And he wanted to crawl under the truck with me, you know what I'm saying? I didn't want him under the truck in case something happened because Sal would never let me live that down. If that boy come out with a scratch off underneath that truck, oh, it was going to be mur- either one of our boys. And I remember them being out there, and I was working on a truck, and I was greasy, and I thought, hmm, I know how he'll feel like he was involved. I gave him some wrenches to play with, gave him some stuff to do, and I rubbed grease all over him, all his hands. And he's like, I said, now you're like daddy. Cool. And then he went and touched stuff, and I got in trouble. Side the point. But then I got to teach him. I got to teach him, you know, what Dove dishwashing liquid can do to greasy hands, right? Got to show him how it cuts the grease and how we scrub them. And sometimes there's a little bit of stain left. And that's okay because it makes you look like a man. Amen? It's just something about a few grease stains on your hand. Like, listen, I washed them, but they still a little dirty. That's all right. Y'all remember when hand sanitizer was this? Ain't like that no more. We got hand sanitizer that would completely take a layer of skin off now. You can't come out with your hands a little dirt on. People won't even get nowhere near you. But godly dads provide for their family, and that's all of their needs. And that's one of the places where I miss the mark as a dad, too. You know, I, Jordan had a, he liked tinkering on things. Problem is, he liked tinkering on things I didn't want him to tinker on. You know what I'm saying? That I'm trying to fix something, and, you know, letting him get a hold of it was sometimes uh, <laughs> not so productive but old to have those years back. I think that's why people like grandkids so much. Grandkids, you get to do over, right? You get to do over the thing. You're like, when I, I wish when I was a dad, I'd have done this. I can't wait for grandkids. I'm going to do it different. And then I'm going to spoil them, and I'm going to give them them pixie sticks. I'm going to let them shotgun about five of those things and take them home. And tell them, be godly to your children and just walk away and laugh. Because that will be funny. Godly dads provide for their families. Number four, godly dads discipline their children. Now this is a toughie right here, right? This is a toughie. Proverbs 13, 24, we know this verse very well. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Now, my dad was a disciplinarian in our house. Uh, unless he wasn't around, if he was working, then my mom became the disciplinarian, and she enjoyed that, I think. You ever look at somebody's eyes when they're in the middle of whooping, and you think that there's a little bit of a light shining and a twinkle in their eye? Like, yes, I was waiting for him to screw up so I could take it. Nah, my mom was not like that, uh, no, although she would whoop us. I mean, when I say whoop us, like, my mom did not say this. I can only remember maybe one or two times where my mom, and she had to be totally like totally lost her cool 
But she only a few times in my life did she ever say, wait till your dad gets home. My mother was like, well, when your dad's not here, you know, somebody's got to pick up the slack. And she gladly picked that up with a belt or a switch or anything else. Right. Uh, but I remember my mom read me this verse one time. I didn't want to go to school. I didn't want to go to school. I hated school. I was bored, didn't like it, and I wanted to be home. And there, my mom had been through some health issues, and she had been, uh, she had been away from our house for, uh, I remember, about two months or so. And when she finally got out of the hospital two months later and come home, I didn't want to go to school. She said, son, you're going to go to school. She let me stay home a day or two. Then after that, she's like, you're going to school. And uh, I said, I ain't going to school. I ran out in the woods and hid. I didn't think that one through, folks. I didn't think about coming home. I didn't think that, you know, I didn't, I didn't watch those nature shows on how to live on the land. And I didn't take a Rambo knife with me or a flint or a poncho or anything. I just ran to the woods. My mom called out, Huffy! And here come my dog. He was an old sheep dog. His name was Babu. We didn't name him. That's what his name was. And Babu, instead of going over the rock break that I was hiding behind to be with me, because he was my loyal dog. I mean, me and him were like Lassie and Timmy, right? Instead of him jumping over the rocks and hiding with me, <laughs> it's like he was in cahoots with my mom because he stood right on top of him rocks and his tail was wagging as if to say, I found him, he's, he's here, right? Timmy's right here. And I'm like, get down, get down. Babu, come here. And he was just like, just tail still wagging, looking back at my mom, looking down at me, looking back at mama. You know, as if he was pointing. This is what mom says. I know you're behind the rocks. Your dog's there. You got to come home sometime. Oh, oh, oh. oh, that was bad. I'm like, oh, man, I didn't think this one. So I decided to do the next best thing. I ran down through the woods to Grandma's house. Because Grandma and Grandpa lived at the bottom of the hill. Right? So we lived on the same lane. So I ran down through the woods to Grandma and Grandpa's house. As <laughs> soon as I stepped on the porch, there my Grandpa standing at the, at, the, at the kitchen door. Boy, you done done it now. Get in here. She's going to kill you. He said, boy, how about this? How about I take you on to school? And I'll tell you, Mom, you come down here, I took you, and I talked to you. Try to keep you out of trouble. And I thought, man, I didn't really want to go to school, but that seemed like the best way to get out of this one. So I said, all right, Pat. So Pat fired up his big old Chrysler, drove me to school. Right, dropped me off. He said, son, have a good day. He says, I'll take care of your Mom. I'll get her calmed down just... When you come home, make sure you're on your best behavior, though. You hear me? Do all your work today. Don't get no bad marks. Don't get no trouble. When you go home, you be nice. Do your chores and don't say a word. All right, Pat. Pat was wise. Wise. All right, Pat. I'll do it. So I did exactly like I was honest to Pat. I did exactly as Pat told me to do. So I got home. My mom looked at me. Think you're smart? No? Why? Oh. Get your pap to take you to school? I bet you he told you to go, didn't he? He says, I didn't talk to your pap. I know what happened. Excuse 
you got one pass. Don't ever do that again. I said, all right. Next day, I got up. I was lollygagging trying to miss the bus because I did not want to go to school. And my mom knew it. She says, you're trying to drag your feet so you missed the bus. No, I'm not. I'm just having problems getting ready. Oh, yeah, sure. She says, you know what? Just stay right here. Just, I've had enough of this. I'm not, I'm not even going to fight you on it anymore. Just stay right here. Well, about five minutes later, I heard the bus go down the road. I'm like, yes, I'm home again. Oh, friends, if I would have went to church. I mean, if I had went to school that day, his life would have been so much different. My mother broke out a piece of base trim about this long. You know, trim you put on the base of a wall. She broke out a piece about that long, and she opened her Bible to this verse. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. She said, son, do you know I love you? Yeah, mom. That's a trick question. Yeah, mom, I know you love me. Now, you know that I, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't do anything to hurt you. You know that, right? I love you. Yeah, Mom, I know you love me. I know it's been difficult around here, but you know, uh, you know I love you, right? Said, yeah. Well, the Bible says here that if I don't whip you with this, then I hate you. I, I love you enough that I'm going to whip you. I was like, wait a time out. This don't, you don't use a Bible on a seven or eight year old. I forget how old it was. Wait a second. She says, the Bible says that God, who God loves, he corrects. And that if we spare the rod, then we're going to, matter of fact, the King James will spare the rod, spoil the child. And she goes, you know, I love you. And so I have to do this because I love you. Let me tell you something. When she got done, she goes, now what do you want to do? Take me to school. Take me now. My mom Still in her flannel nightgown with a house coat on, fuzzy slippers and all. Drove me to school. I said, all right, uh, just drop me off here. I'll go on. Nope, I'm going to make sure you get in class. My mom walked me down the hallway of Blue Ridge Elementary School into Mrs. Putt's third grade class with that house coat on, hair looking like Medusa. I mean, it was the... Oh, man, I'm going to tell you, it was the awfulest looking mess you ever seen. And not only, so then we got, Mom, this is my class. I'm going to go on in. Here's you. Oh, you're going in. My mom threw open the door to that class, didn't knock. Mrs. Putz, Huff decided he's going to start attending school on a regular basis. Ain't you, son? Now go on, sit down. Mrs. Putz, I'll never forget, she's like, when my mom left, got to be lunchtime, are you okay? Should we call somebody? No, don't you, don't you. <laughs> Uh-uh. And I'll be here tomorrow. And every day, I, let me tell you something. You know what? I didn't miss school no more. But discipline is more than just that. You see, there's a key to discipline that the Scripture gives us that I think sometimes we forget. And it's found in Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 4 says, Father, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now think about it. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. What does that mean? This is when God disciplines us. Yeah, sometimes when we're younger, we need a you know, good crack on the backside. But as we got older, my mom realized that that wasn't going to do nothing. And so the whole idea, though, when we look at a biblical view of discipline, is God's discipline is always, first off, embedded in love. Love is the motivator behind discipline. Folks, do you get that? Love is the motivation behind discipline. 
our children will try to talk you into thinking that if you love them, you'll let them do what they want. That's not true at all. That's anti-scriptural. However, we must realize that our discipline has to be A, motivated in love, and B, not designed to make them mad or make their life as miserable as yours is by their actions. Right? Your child made you miserable, disrespected you, whatever the case may be. So the idea behind discipline is not to do them back. Right? This is not, that's, that's retaliation. God wouldn't be the righteous, holy God if he retaliated against That's not how he does it. But instead, true biblical discipline is when we design, right? When we design something to help our child get back into the will of God. God's discipline is always to turn us away from our direction, to turn us back. Did he do some tough things to his children? Yes, he did. But it was for their own good. But it wasn't after all. God warned several times. So you look through the scriptures several times when you see Israel start falling away from him, he would warn them and he would tell them. But when they wouldn't listen, they wouldn't heed, then he would have to do what he said he would do. By the way, if you tell your child the next time you do that, I'm going to ground you for a week, you better ground them for a week if they do it again. Because if not, you just become a liar. And that's my mom used that on me one time. You know I'm not a liar, right, son? I'm like, oh, man. Suddenly her words come back to my mind. Now, I know I'm talking about my dad worked a lot, so my mom was, like I said, she didn't wait on discipline. But then I will tell you the worst part of it wasn't, you know, wasn't getting a whipping. It was when dad come home and she would tell my dad, and my dad said, son, do I really got to say it? You realize how disappointing that is? And when my dad said he was disappointed in me, that was tough. My, I, you know, I thought my dad, my dad was a strong, you know, strong guy that worked hard and, and I wanted to be like him. And to know that I did something that was anti what he would do. When I acted in a way that was, that was away from what he would do, I disappointed him and, and that would hurt my heart. And I think sometimes God's strongest discipline is when he lets us know that he's disappointed in something we don't. You ever, anybody ever felt the disappointment of God in your life when you've made a decision and you knew that you made the wrong one? And it wasn't like, it, it, it wasn't like the decision that you made caused some kind of big calamity you know, that you will never forget. It was just a simple fact that you knew you let God down in that moment. And that just hurt your heart. I watched John MacArthur the other day speaking. And he was speaking before... Um, before college kids at the Bible college, right, uh, in seminary where he uh, sometimes teaches. And he was asked a question by a young seminary student and said, uh, young seminary student said this. He said the question was framed somewhere in the, in the neighborhood of, you know, does it get easier to, to, to say no to sin? Does it get easier as you get older? Kind of was the, kind of the frame of the question. And he says, well, I'll tell you this. He said, this is what I found to be true. As I grow in Christ and as I age and as I start not worrying as much about the opinion of others and things like that, I find it's easier to live closer to Christ. And I, I do find that I sin less frequently, but I still sin. 
He said, but the problem is this. He said, that's the good news. The good news is, is as I got older and grow in Christ, yes, I sin less frequently. That's the good news. He said, but the bad news is as I grow in Christ, the more I realize how much it hurts him and how he feels about it. He said, and that makes me hate sin that much more. And so the disappointment I have in myself and how I feel about it is much harder on me today, even though I sin less frequently than it was when I was younger in Christ. Y'all get that? As we grow in Christ, we should also hate sin more. And so when we do fall, when we do lose our temper, whatever the case may be, and we act out in anger or whatever it is that you do, right? When we do that, it should feel different today than it did a year ago. Because as I grow in him, the more I love him, and the, less, and the more I, I want to I want to be pleasing to him. And so when I disappoint my heavenly father now, it hurts much more than when I disappointed him several years ago because I love him more. Discipline is a tough thing. It's something that we have to do. And so we have to prayer. Listen, sometimes the best thing we can do is take a step back, not make a decision, anger, take a step back and say, you know what? We're going to deal with this. We're going to deal with this when God gets my heart to where I can. Because right now, I will act out of anger. Right now, I will say or do something or I'll punish you in a way that's just to make you mad. And while you getting mad at me is not the key component here, the key component is my heart's not ready. Take a step back and pray about it. And then when God helps you work through that anger and get to that point and think about what is the best course of action, what's the best way to discipline my child to help turn them back toward the will of God, then you give them the punishment. Don't act out of anger. God gets angry, but he doesn't sin in his anger. I, on the other hand, <laughs> do the opposite. I get angry and I sin. And there have been many times that I wish I'd just take a step back and just breathe deeply for a few moments and said a little prayer. And I think that my relationship with my boys would have been much better. Godly dads discipline their children. Number five, Godly dads have compassion for their children. This also includes mercy, by the way. Godly dads have compassion for their children. Psalms 103, starting at verse 13, says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. He has compa compassion means to have concern for the suffering of another. I don't know about you, but how many times have you heard this? Well, back in my day, right, our parents walked to school three miles and three foot of snow uphill both ways, right? Uh, we've all heard it, right? And if we be honest, all of us as parents have probably used it. But you know what I found out as I get older? There was a lot of times I think we discount our children's issues and we don't have compassion because we see the issue as something simple and small. And when you get to be an adult, you'll look back on it and realize how dumb that was. Anybody ever heard that one before? When you get to be an adult, you'll realize that this didn't even matter none. It, you know what? When they're, when they're an adult, it may not matter, but it matters now. I think about my Heavenly Father. As I mature in Him, there were a lot of things that used to bug me and used to upset me. They don't upset me anymore. But when they did upset me, my Heavenly Father was still there to give me compassion and show me love and mercy. He didn't look at me and say, well, you know, when you grow up, you'll realize that ain't, that ain't no big deal. You'll be, you know, so just get over it. And, you know, well, I'm not there yet. And there are so many times 
that I go back in my mind and my memory. And I wish I'd have took a moment to have compassion for my child. Both of my boys. There were times where I told them to suck it up, buttercup, put on your big boy britches, pull yourself up with the bootstraps, and keep going. I wish I'd have took a knee, looked him in the eye, told him I loved him. And what hurts you hurts me, no matter how small it may seem to my eyes. If it hurts you, I care about him. Because God says, cast all our cares upon him. All the moments I would take back in a heartbeat if I could. Just to show a little compassion. I wanted to raise boys to be men. I always tease my boys and tell them boys don't wear pink. That's so harsh. I wanted my men to be men uh, just the way I was raised. But those moments, those key moments that they could have used a dad who had compassion just said, I love you. Crying's okay. I cry more now than I ever did. I think I'm more manly now than I ever was. Because God has molded me into the man he wanted me to be. But when I see my boys get angry, and I see something that frustrates them, and I see how they react, and I'm like, won't you just calm down? Problem is, is every time I do that, in my mind, I know where they learned it from. I know where they got it. They're acting just like me. And it hurts. It hurts because I trained them to be that way. I trained them to have very little compassion because Huffmasters are men. And we're tough. Number six. Godly dads pray for their children. First Chronicles 29, verses 18 and 19, it says, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purpose and thoughts in the heart of your people and direct their hearts toward you. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes, performing all, and that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. You see, this is a prayer of David for his son Solomon. You remember David wanted to build the temple? But God said, no, you're a man of war. He said, your son Solomon will build the temple. Instead of David being mad, David did what? He stockpiled all the materials so that his son could do the work and not have to struggle for it. He made sure he had everything that he needed. And he prayed for his son. My biggest fear is I have not given my sons the tools that they need. For certain situations and for certain character flaws that it seems that Huffmasters have. 
but I have learned to pray and give thanks to God. And I will tell you, we've been praying for our son. We've been, we started praying. The D6 conference in 2010 was a life changer for me. And from that moment, we've been praying for our sons. We prayed for whoever their wives will be if they get married. We pray for their children, and whatever that will be if they get married and have children. I don't know what the future holds, but I know this. The time to start praying for your child and their marriage isn't after they're married. The time is now. Start praying for your child now. We need to be prayerful dads. Now listen, we need to be prayerful moms too, and I get that. Dads, there's something about a place. There's something about the protection of a dad. There's something about the position of being a dad that gives us this place in our homes. Moms have this, this beautiful, caring heart and nature. This is as tough as my mom could be on me. It was also my mom that I would come home and hear her in the closet pray. My mom, remember my mom being up all night with me when I was sick and all those things. Let me tell you something. When my dad finally gave his heart to the Lord, there was something about my dad praying for me. It's almost like, like he brought the thunder. You know what I'm saying? It was my dad. My dad praying for me meant something. My mother praying for me meant something as well, and I cherish it, and I miss her every day. But my dad praying for me brought something that's different because that protector of our home, that one who's been, been responsible for protecting the home when I was growing up and, and helping take care of us and, and, and providing for us, and we lived up in the woods, and they have weird sounds in the woods. You know what I mean? And I remember just looking up to my dad, and he was, he was fearless. That dog I told you about, he had a dog box. That's, I don't know, do dogs even have dog boxes anymore? Do anybody know what that means anymore? Right? It was a house we built out of plywood with a slant roof. Dad put some little shingles on it, wrote my dog's name over the door. Right? He had a dog box. And so we would chain him at night on a, on a run so he wouldn't, you know, because he wouldn't go get hit in the middle of the night. During the day, we let him off. But I had to go out and feed him, and I put it off, right? I put it off. My dad said, boy, it's going to get dark, and you're going to have to still go out and feed that dog. And my dog's box was out near the woods where stuff lives. You know what I'm saying? Out there in the woods where scary stuff lives. Hey, sounds out there. Like you go, who is that? And you hoo hoo. <laughs> it's like an owl was making fun of you. Animals are mean sometimes. What is that? And you hear the little chipmunk making these noises. Stop that. My dad said, boy, go out there and feed that dog. Dad, I get it. Well, it got dark. And he turned on the outside light, but the outside light we had back then, we was too poor to get one of them like 100-watt floodlight. We had a bulb in there. You know what I mean? It took that and two candles to read anything out there. It was a, you know, it was so dim. He said, son, I told you to go out there before it got dark. Now you got to go out there in the dark. I'm scared, Dad. <laughs> I know you are, son. That's why I told you to go out there in the day. But you still got to go. I told you to do it. You said you would do it. Now, you're going to be a man of your word, and you're going to go do it. All right. I remember getting the dog food pail and stepping out the door. I was going to be brave. 
I got this. I got this. So, well, I got about four paces, and something up there went, and make some kind of, back. Hey, something out there, Dad. He said, yeah, there is. There's something all in them woods. They're called animals. Now go out there and feed yours. I said, but Dad. And my dad, in his infinite wisdom, he said, son, would it make you feel better if I stand at the door? So when you're at the dog box, you can still see me. Yeah. And so I remember walking out thinking, this ain't too bad. I get out there and I hear noises, but the thing was is I could still see my dad. And I knew that if anything come out of them woods, my dad was there. I could see him. He was in my view. And I knew that my dad was going to take care of us. I knew that my dad, there wasn't nothing he was scared of. Now I find out later in life that, you know what, he was, he was scared sometimes, but he didn't let that stop him from doing what he needed to do. You see, there's, there's something that had caused a ruckus. I don't know if you guys remember back in the 80s, but there was two brothers that broke out of jail. And there was a manhunt. I can't remember the names. If I can think of the names, I'm telling you, it was all over the news. I mean, Bob Borngesser and WHAG TV 25 Life was reporting on this stuff all, you know. And uh, I forget what the names of these brothers, they even had hot air balloons floating over and finally found them up in the woods back behind Shenandoah. But so there's these two guys was on the loose. And they said they're armed and dangerous. And we had some noise going on outside. And I was like, there's a noise outside. I mean, it wasn't just like them little chipmunk noises. It was like something was going on. There's a bunch of racket going on out there. And I remember my dad grabbing his 410 single barrel shotgun. Y'all remember anything? Well, you going? You get to shoot once, then you got to beat them with it because you only. How can you break it down, get that shell out, put another one? I need something that's got automatic, something or another. I want to keep pulling the trigger. One shot and done. I don't like that stuff. But there's my dad. Grabbed that 410, threw a shell in there, left it, left it broke down. He didn't want to trip and fall and shoot himself or anything. Left it broke down, but there he went. That thing hanging over his arm, more like John Wayne. Cha-ching, cha-ching. Out the door he went. My dad out there going, who is it out there? I got one shot with your name on it. You better come out. If I got to come to you, it ain't going to be pretty. Get him, Dad. I'm backing in, though, right? Get him, Dad. I'm looking out the window. You go, Pop. Turns out it was a neighbor's goat got loose. But I'm going to tell you one thing, we'd have had goat if it, if it come down to it. We'd have, Dad, when I, he was armed for bear or whatever it was. Man, he was so tough. And so when my dad was moved to pray for me, dads, there's something special about it. There's something they know mom's going to be praying for him, but dads, when we pray for him, there's something special. And number seven is this. Godly dads never give up on their kids. I wouldn't have to read a scripture one. There are so many I could read right at the moment. But we know that God is long-suffering, not willing for any of us to perish. 
when Jesus told the story of the prodigal son. Love that story. By the way, I'd heard that story preached and taught many times, but I never heard it ever taught in a way that Pastor Mike Alvaro taught it at Credo. By the way, that was the very first talk they give at Credo on Friday night. And I probably shouldn't tell you that in case you ever get to go. But I'm going to tell you that from the very get-go, the first moment when Pastor Mike told the story, I never saw it that way. And my heart was just, uh, I'm going to tell you, I was, God did a marvelous work that weekend up there. If ever, you just, you got to hear him tell the story. But in verse 20 of Luke 15, it says, He arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him couple things. I never really paid attention until Brother Mike said it, and I went back and read on it. And a couple things Jewish, older Jewish men didn't do, and one of them was run. They had these long garments and stuff like that. It, it, he wouldn't have taken off run. It was, and there's an honor thing at stake. If his son was going to come back, his son had to come back and show himself humble, and the father would have normally have just been waiting there you know, and even then, maybe even have questioned the intention of the child before he even let him back, but not this dad. You see, this dad saw him when he was a long way off. You know what that means? Is he was looking for him. He was looking and waiting for the moment when the child would finally come to his senses and say, you know what? The servants at my father's house eat better than this. I'm going to go home. Maybe, maybe dad will make me a servant. But at least being under his care, so much better than this. But instead, his father, who did what? Killed the fatty calf. Threw a party for him because his son once was lost, but now is found. And I could imagine how many days that dad must have went by that window and looked out. Not yet. And I'm sure he'd come back again. And not yet. But that father was so moved with love when he saw his son from afar that he did not dare wait. He did not dare wait for that son to get to his house. He took off running to meet him. Why? Because he loved him. And godly dads never give up on their children. It doesn't mean we don't have to be tough at sometimes. It doesn't mean we don't have to shut them off at sometimes and tell them when you're ready, you let me know. But the whole time we're praying and waiting and watching for that moment where they will come back to their senses and come home. And I'm going to tell you, there's never been a better dad to love and to show what this really looks like to my personal humble opinion than my buddy, Brother Danny Nick. You know what that boy's been through with his daughter, but still yet he's never give up on her. Doesn't mean he lets her live at his house and do that thing but he ain't never stopped praying. And he's never stopped talking to God for her and never stopped talking to her and urging her to do the right thing. And it breaks his heart. But he said to me one day, right out here in the parking lot, not too long ago, said, Huff, I will never give up on her. I will never give up. I don't care how much she's disappointed me and what she's done. When she's ready to come back and live in a way that is pleasing to God, I will be the first one there to greet her. 
You know what I thought? I wondered sometimes if my home was a place that they would want to come back to. When they come to their mind, do they say, I was loved at home? And so that's a place I want to go back to because I believe some children experience the opposite. And they never know what a loving home is like to go back to. And so they wander aimlessly. I believe there's a lot of people that suffer through that. Godly dads are special. And I know that all of us here strive to be one. But if you take anything away from today, take this. The things that I would go back and do again, especially, was I would take the time. I would take the time and make sure that what I was showing to my kids and my boys was right. I would have compassion. I would pray more. I would make sure that my discipline was modeled after the scriptures and not out of anger. I would have not only prayed in private with them, but I would have prayed openly with them. And I would make sure they know that the love I have for them will always be there. Now, I think they know some of those things now, not the same as they used to be. But I'm going to tell you, there's still moments, and I think back, and I just, I can't go back and seize the time. And you can't either. But we can roll forward in a way that exemplifies the traits that godly dad should have. Would you stand to your feet?